what we started last week about resting in the Lord or rest in the Lord. I just want to remind you and maybe make you think of this. Do you know that if as human beings we take pressure upon ourselves that we shouldn't bear, you end up being in stress or depression? You know that, isn't it? So what we call stress or what we call depression is because you are carrying something beyond what you should carry. Amen. It's like if, if I want to put something heavy on this thing, it's going to crumble, isn't it? Because it can't carry it. So even how God created us, he did not create us to carry burdens. That's our manufacturer. So we were not made to carry those heavy loads, what I'm calling burdens like troubles, all the things that you carry yourself. That's why if you go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30 in the Good News Translation, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. So he says, if you are tired from carrying heavy loads, come to me. I want you to rest. Take my yoke and put it on you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in spirit. And you will find rest. For the yoke I will give you is easy and the load I will put on you is light. Are you getting that? So what I told you, I'm... Supporting it with this verse that according to Jesus, he doesn't want us to carry our heavy loads. So he says, come to me all you who are tired from carrying heavy load and I'll give you rest. And that's why I'm saying to you that if we try to carry heavy loads on our own, we carry all those troubles, all those things that are making you having sleepless nights, you end up having stress or depression. Because you are not made to carry those things. Amen. So when he says, I will give you rest, it's so good to rest in God. I see it almost like a child, maybe around four to five years old. Children of that age, they rest. They just think mommy and daddy has got it all under control. Even when you don't have money, they think you've got money. That's why I told you the other time that if you take a four or a five-year-old and you go with them to shop, they think you can buy the whole shop. Mommy, I want this. I want that one. I want that one. They just get surprised when you say, you can't take it all. Just choose one. Because they thought you've got everything. So that's what we call resting in your parents. So can't we have that attitude? Jesus talks about unless you accept the kingdom of heaven like these little ones, you will not enjoy the benefits of it. Amen? So I want us to look at this one in the message translation, the same Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Now you will see here he links this resting in the Lord as understanding grace. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 message translation, it says, Are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me, 
Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. He wants to show us how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You see that? What we are going to learn? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So when you are carrying that heavy load, Jesus says it's not me who laid it on you. He says I won't lay on you anything that's heavy beyond what you can bear. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. So he's actually inviting us to the life to enjoy our lives. To rest in him. To depend upon him. To know that God is working everything for my benefit. He's working behind the scene. Even when I can't see it, he's busy working. Amen. Because he's concerned about me. He wants things to go well with me. So as he's working behind the scene, sometimes you find things just working out for you. And then you get surprised. How did this happen? How did that happen? How did that happen? It's all by grace. Amen. So when he says, I want to teach you the unforced rhythms of, rhythms of grace, so that you can rest in God, knowing that he's got everything under control. That's why when you understand grace, you see, in this world, I told you last week that the world calls it luck. You will hear people saying, good luck. And they say, you were lucky. You've heard that, isn't it? Yeah, because according to them, it happened by coincidence. It just worked out well for you by coincidence. You didn't work for it. And I said, that is what we call grace. But if you look at this Ecclesiastes 9.11, in the New Living Translation, I want to show you even King Solomon, he was surprised. King Solomon, if he lived during our days, like I said to you last week, he would have been a researcher. <laughs> Dr. Makado, you would have had a, a companion here. You see, he, he researched things. He didn't just, if something happens this way, he wanted to understand why is things happening this way. Okay? Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes 9, 11, NLT says, I have observed something else under the sun. And usually his observations, you can identify with them. He says, the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. That's true, isn't it? And the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. He's telling us facts, isn't it? And he says, it is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> so he made an experiment, he looked at the thing, he researched and all that. But I think he came to a wrong conclusion in my view. Okay? So you can do the research and you've got the hypothesis and everything. So his conclusion, he says, he thinks these things happen, they are all decided by chance. He's just being at the right place at the right time. Because he really couldn't understand why would some things work well for other people when they did nothing. Okay? And the world calls it luck. Uh, King Solomon calls it chance. 
I call it grace. Amen. Can we all say the world calls it luck? King Solomon calls it chance. I call it grace. Amen. Amen. So, in other words, according to King Solomon, you were just at the right place at the right time. So, but how do, do I get to that right place at the right time? So, it means it's by grace. And people have got this tendency of working hard, trying to make things work out. And sometimes when you try to make things work out, you end up making mistakes. But if you rest in the Lord and say God is in control, indeed there may be storms all around me. Things may be really not seeming to be falling apart, but I'm not going to carry this heavy load. I don't want to stress myself. My body and my mind have not been made to carry these heavy loads. Amen. I want to rest in him in his grace. And depend on him to work out things for my advantage as he works behind the sea. Because you see, even the children of Israel, during their time, they lived under what we call the law. So they had to work to get things. Okay? You had to do this for that to work. You do this for that to work. So it was not what we call grace or unmerited favor. When you say grace or unmerited favor, you are saying you get things that you don't deserve them. You did not have to work for them. And actually, if you go with me to the book of Galatians, I'm just linking it with what we learned last week so that then we can connect. Galatians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24a. I'll again do it in the NLT. Here, Paul compares grace and works. And he says grace and works can actually be equated to the two sons of Abraham. Okay? And Abraham had two wives, and they had those two wives, the ones with two sons. So I want us to read it, and I want you to understand grace and separate it from works. Galatians 4.22 to 24a, NLT, it says, The scripture says that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and the other one from his freeborn wife. You, you know those, isn't it? The first one, the one from the slave wife, was the son of Hagar, who is Ishmael. And the one from the freeborn wife was Isaac, the son of Sarah. But look at verse 23. He says, the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promises. You know, as human beings, we always want to make things work. Now, in your attempt to make God's promises come to pass as if you are God, you may end up begetting an Ishmael. Okay? Yes. In other words, something comes, but it's not really because of God's promises. You try to work it out, and it will be a trouble for you in future. But the son of a freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. I like this. Because it's saying, God can fulfill his promises himself. So why don't I just wait and rest upon him? And I wait for him to lead me and to guide me. Where he leads me, 
I will follow where it leads me. I will follow where it leads me. I will follow. I'll go with him, with him all the way. Go with him all the way. Let's not be ahead of him. Let's allow him to lead us and where he leads us, we shall follow. So therefore, it means when I'm resting on him, I'm waiting upon him and where he leads me, I will follow. May he fulfill his own promises in my life. I don't want to interfere with him working in my life. I want to give him chance to do what he wants to do in my life by resting in him. Because sometimes in our difficulties, we, we, as human beings, we are uncomfortable with difficulties. To again show that we were not created for difficulties. Okay? But difficulties are there in life, isn't it? So, there was a time when Paul, again he was told to depend on grace. When he had this challenge, this difficulty is that he, he just didn't know how to bear it, how to handle it. And he went to God and prayed about it. And this is what he was told. Go with me to the book of Second Corinthians chapter 12. The 7 to 11 in the ERV, easy to read version. And look at this that Paul had gone through. And again he was told, you need to depend on my grace. Okay? So it's not as if when things, you are saying, Pastor, but I'm going through a difficult moment and you're telling me to rest in the Lord, you're telling me to depend on God's grace, how will that make a difference? I told you last week that even if you try to worry about it and you try to run and kick and all that, it makes no difference either. So you can as well do it God's way. Look at this, Second Corinthians 12, 7-10 ERV, it says, but I must not be too proud of the wonderful things that were shown to me. So a painful problem was given to me. An angel from Satan sent to make me suffer. You see what the angel was coming to do? To make him suffer. <laughs> so, so that's sometimes what happens in our life. Some things are sent to make you suffer. He says, so that I would not think that I'm better than anyone else. I begged the Lord three times to take this problem away from me. But the Lord said, My grace is all you need. Only when you are weak can everything be done completely by my power. Okay? I want to, um, to, to, to illustrate this to you. So he says, This painful problem, I begged the Lord three times to take this problem away from me. Like you might be praying about certain things and saying, Lord, this I can't bear this anymore. If you come to that point where you say, I can't bear this anymore. Okay? You were not supposed to bear it to start off with anyway. So it's not only about anymore. You were not supposed to bear it anyway from the beginning. But when you come to that point and say, I can't bear it anymore. Lord, take this away from me. He says, I begged the Lord three times. But the Lord said to me, my grace is all you need. 
Only when you are weak can everything be done completely by my power. So he says, when you now do not know what to do, when you can't work out things on your own, you give me chance to do everything by my power. When you rest on me and see what I can do, then you will see that I am God. He says, so I will gladly boast about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can stay in me. Yes, I am glad to have weaknesses if they are for Christ. I am glad to be insulted and have hard times. I am glad when I am persecuted and have problems. Because it is when I am weak that I am really strong. So he says, when all those things are coming against me and they are challenging me, I relax in God. I can acknowledge my weaknesses and my inability to handle things. But then I see God coming through for me. I see God coming through for me and giving me the victory. Amen? So that's why then Jesus actually takes the same thing and he admonishes us not to worry. Because according to Jesus, even if you worry, it changes nothing. So you can as well do it God's way. So let's go together to the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34 in the Passion Translation, TPT. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Jesus says, This is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. So if Jesus tells me not to be worried, why must I be worried? Hmm? Because he doesn't say that there is nothing that can worry you. He says when the opportunity to worry comes your way, don't take it. This is why I tell you never to be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided. Such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Consider the birds. Do you think they worry? Huh? Do you think birds worry? And you find a bird. If you find it doing this, it's just sleeping. It's not worrying. Because you sometimes will find you do this. Now you even have to support your head. Because it's heavy. So don't do that. Okay? So he says, consider the best. Do you think they worry? I don't think they worry. They take each day as it comes. It says, consider the best. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or store or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly father provides them each with food. Best don't die of hunger. He provides for them. He says, aren't you much more valuable to your father than they? Huh? So, which of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? So he actually gives us two things here. He says, firstly, if God can take care of the beds and provides for them, don't you think you are better than a bed? Look at your neighbor, says you are better than a bed. Amen. So if God can provide for beds, how much about you? You are more valuable to God than a bed. That's what Jesus was saying here. And he says, in any way, who of you can change anything by worrying? I told you, 
That worrying is like paying interest on the principal debt. You will still suffer the pain anyway. So you can as well save yourself and just relax in God. Leave everything in God's hand. He says, and why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil, and yet not even Solomon in all his splendor was robed in beauty like one of these. So if God so clo- has so closed the middle with hay, which is here for a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes you need, you of little faith? So then, forsake your worries. You see that? Tell your neighbor, forsake your worries. Yeah, leave them. <laughs> Why would you say, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For that is what unbelievers chase after. So he says, the unbelievers, they are chasing after those things. You have a father who knows that you need things. Okay? So he says, for that is what unbelievers are chasing after. Doesn't your heavenly father already know the things your body requires? Hmm? Don't you think your father knows? He knows and he cares. And then he says, don't be like people of the world who chase after things. Your father knows you need these things. Your father will provide for you. Your father will take care of you. He says, so, above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Amen. That's what Jesus is admonishing us to do. He says refuse to worry about tomorrow. Rest in God. Don't stress yourself. Learn to depend on God and instead of toiling on your own. You remember last week we told you about Peter saying, I've toiled all the night. That's in Luke 5, 4 to 6, New King James Version. Let me read it and then he says, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Okay, now, I want you to travel this journey with me. Look, he says, let down your nets for a cash. That's what Jesus was saying. In other words, I am telling you, if you do it this way, it will work. What does Peter say? Peter says, Master, we have toiled all the night and caught nothing. That's probably the sense of some of you. I've been struggling, I've been doing this, I've been trying that, I've been doing this, I've been doing that, Pastor, and I'm gaining nothing. So, the only difference between you and Peter is that you are doing those things, you are toiling, 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 but when you hear God's word, you still want to continue toiling. But Peter said, nevertheless, in other words, this is a turn, turning point for me. I've been toiling all the night, I toiled, 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 and got nothing. 
Now I want to do it your way. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they did that, they caught a lot of fish. Just by being where the Lord wants you to be. Doing it the Lord's way. And I told you, if Peter were to go fishing again, do you think he would ever want to go without the master? Do you think he would ever want to toil again? He would say, no, I know the grace way of getting things. It's just waiting upon the Lord and he directs my path. He leads me, he directs me. He directs my path. And if I know that he directs my path, then I don't have to worry. And I think Peter, Jesus, when he said, come to me, I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. When he was talking, he was talking to crowds that were there, but even Peter was there. And Peter also learned this thing of grace. So I'll read two scriptures for you in first, Second Peter and First Peter. The first one is Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Peter is talking about grace. I think he has tasted how to walk in grace when he walked with the master. Second Peter 3, 18 AMPC, it says, But grow in grace, undeserved favor, spiritual strength, and recognition and knowledge and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory, majesty, and splendor, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So be it. So he says, grow in grace. It means I can grow in grace. I can learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I'm saying, the more I depend on his grace, the more I see his faithfulness, the more I find that actually I must just rest in him. And grow more and more in his grace. That I do not have to try and work out things on my own. That I don't have to be worried and spend sleepless nights. Amen. So he summarizes it this way, 1 Peter 5, 7, AMPC. Again, Peter, I think in his walk with the master, he probably has le he learned a lot of things. He learned a lot of things. Actually, you see, when you come to the Lord, he will teach you his ways of doing things when you had your way of doing things. Because you remember the one time when they needed money for tax. You remember when Jesus anticipated Peter that Peter is looking for money for tax. And they did not have money with them for tax. Okay? Jesus says to Peter, go and catch a fish. And when you catch a fish, you will find money for tax for you and for me. Do you think that made sense? Do you think that was in Peter's vocabulary of being a fisherman? I think in Peter's mind, you see, God sometimes he wants us to, to, to be transformed and not think the way we think or in our own worldly way. Because in Peter's mind, you know what would have made sense to Peter when they needed money for text? Jesus could have said, I will perform a miracle for you, Peter. Today you will catch so many fish and sell them and we are going to get a lot of money. That would have been aligned to Peter's way of thinking. Isn't it? But listen, Jesus says, go and catch a fish. Okay? Now Peter goes. I think he, 
He wasn't using nets. I think he was using fishing line. Because it was, was supposed to be one fish. Okay? So he says, so he goes. Okay? Then he's waiting there. He will catch a fish. He was told the fish that you are going to catch, it will have the, the money. So, Peter is saying, nevertheless at your word, we'll do it your way. And I'm thinking, if he was doing that and there were people next to him saying, Peter, today we don't really, there are not many fish here. He says, no, I just need one. One, Peter. Yeah, that one has got money in its mouth. Peter. A fish having money in its mouth. You've been fishing all your life. Have you ever found money in the mouth of a fish? No, I haven't. But the master says today I will find money in the mouth of a fish. Peter, what if the fish that doesn't have the money is the one that comes and take a bait? That's the Lord's problem. Amen. If the Lord says there will be money in the mouth of a fish, whose problem is it? That's the Lord's problem. I must just do what he told me I must do. Amen. So, And you know what happened? When he caught the fish, guess what? There was money in the mouth of a fish. Because the master said it. Amen. So, but if you always do it your way, you are going to say, you've got to be realistic first. Some of you would have said that to Jesus. If you were Peter, you would have said, Jesus, you've got to be realistic. Did I hear you right saying there will be money in the mouth of a fish? Let me tell you, I've been a fisherman all my life. We catch fish, we sell them, and then we get money. Jesus says, I want to teach you the grace way. <laughs> Amen. I want to teach you the grace way where it doesn't follow all that. I mean, look at the labor. You first catch a lot of fish. You're taking a lot. Toil all the night. And then catching them, catching them, catching them. After catching them, clean them, clean them, clean them. After cleaning them, clean the nets. After cleaning the nets, go and sell. And when you are selling, sometimes people don't always buy them. And then you get the money. So if I can, if Jesus can tell me a way of getting money by just going there and then there's enough money, so why don't I do it the Jesus way? Amen. So I let me do it the Jesus way because he's teaching us the unforced rhythms of grace. So 1 Peter 5, 7 AMP says, AMPC, Amplified Classic, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares for you watchfully. You see, Jesus, uh, Peter was talking from experience to say that the Lord cares for us. Cast your burdens on him for he cares for you. Cast all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns. Cast them on him. He cares for you. So let's do that. Sometimes you say, but pastor, you've got to be realistic. I really have a serious problem. 
I told you, even if you worry about it, it changes nothing. So, so you can as well, as well do it Jesus' way. Amen? And let's see if when we trust in him, when we rely on him, when we allow him to be God, can't he come through for us? Psalms 37, 3 to 7, AMPC. It says, Psalms 37, 3 to 7, Amplified Classic, says, Trust, lean on, rely on, and be confident in the Lord, and do good. So shall you dwell in the land and feed surely on his faithfulness, and truly you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. I want you to look at this. He says, delight yourself also in the Lord. That's like resting in the Lord. You just get delighted about the things of God and you soak yourself in his kingdom. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things will be added to you. So he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. You remember the other time I said, it's people who tell you that God only gives you the needs. He doesn't give you the wants. I haven't seen such a scripture. I have seen a scripture like this which says he gives you what? The desires of your heart. So it means there are times when sometimes, you see there is a thing where this is a need. Father, you meet all my needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But as my father who has everything, why can't I sometimes have some desires? Can I tell you an example? Let me tell you an example. What do you think, okay, I think I'll take it with, uh, with uh, maybe with children again. You know, for a child, a child would have maybe something that's a need, maybe school fees, food, and all that. But don't they sometimes ask for a toy and you give them? Do you think a toy is a need? No, it's a desire. It's for play, isn't it? Yeah, but you give as, you, as a parent. So don't you think the father also wants to give me some toys? Huh? He's my father. Amen. So there are things that are a need. He said he will give me those. But he says when I delight myself in him, he will also give me the desires of my heart. Yeah, I sometimes like some of those toys. Like your parents give your children toys which are not necessarily a need. But you just want to make them happy. So even my father, he wants to make me happy. He says, when I delight myself in him, he will give me the desires of my heart. This verse doesn't say he will give me my needs. Isn't it? So there is a verse that says, my God shall supply all my needs. That's fine. So he gives me my needs, but he also gives me toys. The desires of my heart. Amen. And when I delight in him, when I spend time with him, my desires would also be aligned to his will anyway, isn't it? Hmm. Because I'm spending time with him. And I can ask him, what about this? What about that? Even like with children, you know, even when they ask toys, you don't buy all of them, isn't it? Sometimes you will say, 
But this one, my child, the problem is that it breaks very quick. Or this one, my child, the problem is I don't want you to, to get this one because you will learn wrong things. Like my wife and I, when our children grew, we never bought them a gun toy. Okay? I'm not saying it's wrong to buy children gun toys. Did I say that? I said my wife and I, we never bought children gun toys. Okay? Because in our minds, that's not the Bible again. In our minds, I don't want to teach a child something that I don't want them to be doing going forward. Okay? So, it means when it comes to toys, the desires of my heart with the father, if then the father says, no, my son, this one, I know you are delighted in this toy, but it won't be good for you, this toy. Then I would say, yes, daddy. Yes, daddy, that's fine. Amen. Amen. But as it pertains to need, he will always meet my needs. But for the desires, he gives me the desires of my heart, but we talk about the desires of my heart. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Roll and repose each care of your load on him. You see, he's talking about those loads again. Roll your load on him. Trust, rely on, lean on, and be confident also in him, and he will bring it to pass. So in other words, he has his own way of doing things. And he will make your uprightness and right standing with God go forth as the light, and your justice and right as the shining sun of the noonday. But, verse 7, be still and rest in the Lord. You see this thing of resting in the Lord. Be still and rest in the Lord. Wait for him. And patiently lean yourself upon him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. In other words, rely on God. Depend on him. Depend on him to let him be God and do it his own way. We shared with you last week, we won't read this one, in Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 10 to 15, when he talks about God saying, I saw in my wrath that they will never enter into my rest because they were looking for help somewhere else instead of looking up to me. I wanted them to look up to me. I wanted them to depend on me. Then when they did it their way and they did not believe me, I saw in my wrath that they will never enter my rest. But he says in Hebrews 4, 1 to 3 and then 7 to 11. It says, now is the time to enter into his rest. When you hear his voice, maybe let's read it. Hebrews 4, 1 to 3 and then 7 to 11. I'll do it in the living, TLB, the living translation. It says, although God's promise still stands, his promise that all may enter his place of rest, that is the promise. We ought to tremble with fear because some of you may be on the verge of failing to get there after all. For this wonderful news, the message that God wants to save us has been given to us just as it was to those who lived in the time of Moses. But it did not do them any good because they didn't believe it. You see, all the things that I'm sharing with you, if you don't believe it, it will not do you any good. It will not benefit you. They didn't mix it with faith. 
For only we who believe God can enter his place of rest. He said, I have sown in my anger that those who don't believe me will never get in. Even though he has been ready and waiting for them since the world began. So in other words, you, for you to enter this rest, you've got to rely on God. By the way, do you know that when you are worried and troubled and always anxious, it's a sign that you are not trusting God? Hmm? I said, did you know that when you are worried, troubled, anxious, it's a sign that you are not trusting God? You are actually trusting the enemy's ability to harm you more than God's ability to deliver you. Because if you trust God to deliver you, you trust in his ability, you are going to relax like you remember Peter again. You remember Peter when the Bible says in the book of Acts, there was a time when Herod arrested James and then killed him and people were happy. And then he now went and arrested Peter. But it was <coughs> during the time of the feast and then he couldn't take him for trial and to be killed at that time. So they kept him in prison. But when it was a day that he should be taken out the next day for trial and also probably to be killed like James, Peter was sleeping and resting that night. That when the angel came to deliver him, the Bible says the angel had to smite him on the side to wake him up. And I said, if it were some of you, you would not have fallen asleep that night. You would be thinking, oh, they did it to James. So I'm probably next. And this and this and this. And you try to in your mind, I don't know how they were, they, they killed James. I think they used to behead them. In your mind, you are even trying to think, a knife. You're trying to even dramatize, how will it be like? It would have been better if they just shoot me once. Instead of you relaxing and resting in God. So Peter was relaxed, resting in God, and then he had to be smitten on the side. And when the angel came there, you know what happened? Because of the presence of the Lord, the chains started, the chains just went off, loose. And as they were walking, the gates started opening. Amen. That's what we call grace, when God himself come into the scene. Amen. Instead of you struggling on your own, you leave it in the hands of God and see what God does. He is Jehovah at his best. Amen. Amen. So we've got to learn to trust in him. And I want to tell you this. Let's go together to the book of Isaiah chapter 32. Verse 18. Isaiah 32 and... 18 in the NIV. I like this one because this is what God says about his people. He wants his people to relax in him. He says, Isaiah 32, 18. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, and in undisturbed places of rest. He wants me to relax. He wants me to be safe. He says, my people will live in peaceful dwelling places. My home, I want this peace in my home. So that I can live in a peaceful dwelling place. 
in a secure home, in undisturbed place of rest. That's God's will for me. But do you know what with the, with the unrighteous, this is Isaiah 32, 18, but the same Isaiah, he says in 57, 20 and 21, to just differentiate between God's people and those who are in the world, who are not yet in the kingdom. I told you that you've got your father who cares for you. When the world is chasing after things, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the good things will be added to you. But look at this. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 AMPC. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, for it cannot rest. And its waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. So for you as a child of God, you're supposed to have peace and rest. But he says the wicked are like the troubled sea. Have you ever seen the sea troubled? He says they are like the troubled sea which cannot rest. You need to be able to rest. You are a child of God. God wants you to rest and relax in him. He does not say there are no troubles. He does not say there are no challenges. You remember even when Jesus was sleeping in the boat with his disciples, it says there were storms raging. And the, 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 the water was even starting to get into the ship. And the disciples were afraid. Master, don't you care that we perish? Jesus wakes up and says, Oh, you of little faith. Then he rebuked the wind. And then there was great calm. But he was relaxed in the midst of the storm. Do you think there could have been a possibility that if Jesus didn't wake up, they would have drowned with Jesus there? No. Jesus is saying the master is in charge. I can sleep. He's taking care. He knows how to protect me. He has given his angels charge over me to protect me in all my ways. He has sent his angels to deliver me. He is with me. Amen. So let's conclude it this way for today. I want to go to the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 with you. And then we'll link it to Philippians 4, 6 and 7. So we start with verse 8 in the King James Version. And then we'll do 6 and 7 in the message translation. So, he says, finally brethren. So it means I'm also concluding now. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You see, this is powerful. He knows that your mind is used to thinking of things. So if you don't keep your mind thinking the right things, it's going to think about the bad things. If you don't occupy your mind with thinking about God's word or things that are lovely, your mind is going to pick on the bad things. It's going to think about, oh, this is just, things are just falling apart. This, 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 this. That's how your mind works. So, but he says, fix your mind on things that are lovely, things that are working well. Okay, so this is what you do. I think I made this challenge to some of you even the previous time. 
I said, go home and do this experiment for me. And you will tell me. Even you who think you've got, you th who think your world is falling apart and you've got a lot of problems. Take two pages, two A4 pages. It's especially those that used to have lines, like from the minute book, the ones with lines. On one of them, write all your problems. On the other one, count all your blessings. And can I tell you, you will be surprised. Some of you won't be able to have five problems. But you were thinking, you've got 100 problems. That's what your mind was telling you. But now, I want you to go and list them. Problem number one. And then... Now you realize, ah, was it only three things that to me in my life I thought that things were falling apart? Because on this other one, with blessings, with things that are going well for you, just, you start. I thank you that I'm alive. All of you are alive here, isn't it? Huh? So that one, is, I'm, not, I'm not assuming you are all alive, isn't it? So that's the first one. I'm alive. Some of you are healthy. Some of you have got families. Some of you have got jobs. Some of you have got children. Some of you have got people that care for you. Some of you have this. Some of you, most of us have shoes. By the way, even a shoe, it's a blessing. Amen. You start listing them, then you realize, ow. Oh, That's why the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Forget not all his benefits. Because my soul, you've got a tendency of forgetting. That's what he says in Psalm 103, isn't it? Forget not all his benefits. <clears throat> because you've got a tendency of forgetting and only focusing on the things that are not working well. So, Paul says, fix your mind on things that are lovely. Things that are of good report. And actually when you think about those, you create even a lovely environment, a lovely atmosphere for you. And you won't always be frowning. Okay? You'll start smiling. Amen? Sometimes I say, I was just smiling alone. Then I say, Mommy, what are you thinking about? <laughs> it's good sometimes. You're just alone and then you're thinking about these good things. And you just start smiling. And people around you say, what are you thinking about? Amen. It means God is just so good. Amen. Start. So he says, think about these things. So if you do it then in the message, and we learn, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 in the message, before he came to that finally, brethren, he says, don't fret or worry. Okay? Instead of worrying, or do you have it in the, yeah, let's do it together there. So, this is the thing. So I said on verse 8, because your mind is used to thinking, he says, direct your mind to think lovely things, good things, things of good report, things that are of virtue, okay? Not troubling things and all those. But now, 
He directs us also in how we should live our life. I want you to look at this. We look at this together. Don't fret or worry. Okay? So, tell your neighbor, thou shalt not worry. (laughs) Amen. Now it sounds like a commandment. Amen. Instead of worrying, what must you do? Okay. That's the truth. You remember the other time I told you, when worry, I don't worry. When worry tries to come my way, now I think worry is used to the fact that I don't worry, then it doesn't come. Because otherwise it's inviting prayer. You see, if I told you, if you wake up and something wants to worry you at night and you can't fall asleep, start praying. You will see how the devil realizes, now it's trouble, rather fall asleep. We can't afford you praying. Then you find you fall asleep and you enjoy your sleep. So he says, instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayer. Letting God know your concern. Verse 7. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. I was reading, by the way. Amen? Maybe we need to read together. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So why don't we do it Jesus' way? Let's do it Jesus' way. Let's relax in him. Let's trust in him. Let's rest in him. In Jesus' name. Amen.